Welcome back, everyone, to Web3 Unpacked. I'm Rich Pasqua, and joining us today is Marcus Verato, CEO of Parfin, a modular platform for secure digital asset custody, tokenization, trading, and management. Welcome, Marcus. Hello, Rich. Uh, uh, thank you for, for um, uh, welcoming us here. Uh, we're very excited to talk about uh, the different topics in crypto, tokenization, CBDCs, and so on. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're excited to learn more about you, your company, and the world of, of crypto in general. Um, you know, we, we're going to dig into Parfin quite a bit uh, today, but before we start, I always like to ask the question, how did you get started in your Web3 journey? What did it look like for you? Well, uh, you know, um, back in the day, uh, it was around 2014. I used to work in this investment bank, uh, you know, having uh, operations and technology globally at certain point with the, the hat of CTO. So, uh, and I had to learn more, more about what was going on in technologies. And once I was in a, in a conference in Las Vegas, it was one of the first AWS conferences with my head of technology from US. And, and the guy was a, a very geek and he was like, oh, you should buy this. This is going to be the money of the future. And he introduced me to Bitcoin. And I said, I don't know how to operate. And he sent me a link to, to download an app. It was a, a, an exchange called Poloniex at that time. And I swapped my credit card. I bought like $2,000 of Bitcoin. It was 600 each. It was like, um, uh, and I, I thought, of, wow, this is easy. Huh? You know, uh, everyone uh, says uh, complicated, etc. But he was using an app. And but more importantly, he sent me the Satoshi white paper. And I remember flying back home. Um, I read the paper. I said, oh, my God, this is serious stuff. This is, you know a new financial system that could emerge, you know, from the 2008 crisis. And then after that, I, I sort of uh, fall in the uh, rabbit hole and I start, you know, uh, trading Bitcoin. And then this Litecoin came and then Ethereum. And then I got all the movements, so the, the ICO boom and then the DeFi boom, NFTs. And, and now all, all that's happening to Zero Knowledge. When I left the bank in 2019, I took a sabbatical, I said, I need to jump in after 20 plus years of traditional financial markets. I said, I, I will build something on the space. I, I need to be involved on what, uh, you know, at that time, uh, as my view was going to transform the financial markets as we know, but it got much broader, right? It's transforming way people work uh, with this whole web tree and even corporates and companies. So it's, it's quite exciting, you know? Yeah, and your journey is very similar to mine and others out there. You know, once you read that white paper and you really start to, you know, suspend disbelief and understand that, wow, this could transform workforces, not just economies, um, but global economies and beyond. It's really exciting. And you do fall into that rabbit hole, which everyone, everyone says, right? Um which is great. Uh, and we like to understand where people come from and what their journey's like. So thank you for that. Um, what, you know, can you give us like a, a, a nice overview of Parfin and, and what tools you offer and really what it's doing? Yeah. Well, back in the day, uh, I was still in the bank. The bank decided to set up this uh, tra crypto trading desk. It was a proprietary trading desk allocating a dozens of millions of dollars and my team so i remember i was a head of a global head of operation technology were controlling you know the settlement and the the opening the accounts at the, the exchange and we're doing arbitrages and and all uh, sort of the trading strategies and it was a nightmare to control and to because there was at the time 17 18 there was lack of uh, institutional systems lack of you know really tools that you could rely on and, and operate in, a, in an institutional way. So that it was on the back of my mind. And, um, and then when I left the bank, I said, well, uh, why not build something that would help institutional adoption of crypto and, and professional traders and asset managers and, and banks and so on. So we built our first product, which was, uh, was a portfolio management embedded with the uh, MPC custody 
which stands for multi-part computation for those who, who, who are not familiar with, uh, which is uh, secure. And, and then uh, we, we, you know, right after the product was ready, we sold to a few clients. We had many relationships in the market. And, uh, and surprisingly enough, we built the tool for, you know, more institutional TradFi players that were entering to the space, but we sold a lot of to, to crypto players, you know, and we realized that even the crypto players, uh, some of them didn't have enough, uh, you know, infrastructure or software to handle. And, and this portfolio management became then, um, you know, a part of a more, uh, you know, what we call today a digital assets platform where we built then a, a crypto as a service, which is a brokerage system, very sophisticated, where neobanks, investment platforms can offer crypto to their end clients. So it's an end-to-end -end, uh, solution. Uh, and it, it can be any, any digital assets from any crypto to any, any tokenized asset that the bank or an investment platform decides to, uh, to sell or to tokenize. And, and we're talking about real-world assets here. Um, and then, um, you know, this became our, our you know, uh, flagship product. Um, has, uh, we, we've been selling this to, to big financial institutions, and uh, especially in Latin America. We have one or two clients in the U.S. now. Uh, and we realized last year or a year ago that also uh, there are a lot of uh, restrictions for, especially for banks to tokenize real-world assets or, or financial instruments in public blockchains. And uh, we saw the, the beginning of this permission networks or permission solutions last, like I've launched the AvArc. And then we decided to build our own permission EVM blockchain system to, uh, to allow banks to be more efficient, scalable, uh, keeping privacy uh, into the ecosystem. And the combination of the two products are very powerful because you have the, you know, again, the infrastructure, the layer zero that allows them to tokenize and to bridge tokens even to all the public blockchains and to leverage uh, what's going on on the DeFi space. But then at the same time, when a bank wants to deal with their internal stuff like uh, uh, money market funds tokenization or even the tokenized deposit or any uh, you know internal royalties whatever uh, we uh, they are able to do without the necessary cost of the going to a public blockchain and again managing everything through the platform so it's uh, uh, that's where where we are now and uh, we started the journey journey uh, around four years ago and uh, so far so good this has been uh, exciting we've been growing this uh, uh, so-called uh, uh, crypto winter that started mid last year, you know, and uh, hopefully we're gonna go uh, out of this uh, to uh, this end of the year. But uh, for us, it was good. We 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 kept increasing uh, revenue. We kept growing a number of clients despite of this uh, sort of crypto winter. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think the crypto winter is uh, is is fastly. Turning into crypto, uh, not even spring, summer, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and I know it's warm in Brazil where you are now, so that's that's par for the course. But um, you mentioned something in there, Marcos, that um, interests me. So your clients on your platform are now able to offer, if they are a, f a financial specific financial client, right, dealing in trading or brokering assets they're able to now offer cryptocurrencies to clients. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And um, most of those clients that are financial institutions are based in Brazil and outside the outside U.S. now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so because of the, the whole, uh, you know, as we all know, there's this, uh, you know, SEC and uh, uh, going after most of the crypto players and, you know, so banks in the US wouldn't be allowed to to offer crypto there in the class, not even services related to crypto. We know yeah. some banks that had to shut down their their, their custody services out of US because of this uh, um, regulatory enforcement. But outside, uh, it's been um, it's been um, a lot of uh, you know uh, good uh, uh, good movements from regulators here in Latin America, especially Brazil, Chile, Colombia. So we're we're seeing. You know, uh, they are very advanced into regulating uh, virtual asset service providers. Europe as well. We just uh, got the license with the 
Bank of Portugal as well, where we're going to offer services in Europe, uh, England, Europe. So um, it's uh, and the space is, is opening, um, you know, more and more. And I think we will ask you follows at a certain point in the future. Mm, yeah, and, and that's exactly why I asked that question, because different countries, it's important for our viewers and listeners to understand it, different countries have different regulations, different rules, um, and it looks like you guys are kind of softened up a little bit, and, and your clients are actually able to trade swiftly, which is kind of a nice, I wouldn't call it a backdoor, but a nice uh, head start, if you will, uh, to the whole environment. So that that's great. Now, there's one other thing, too. Um, you know, the idea of modularity. How does that fit into Parfum, the product? Yeah, this was uh, when we started, as we started, we called, we, 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 at the beginning, we used to call Parfum Legos because we could uh, combine them in a way that would fit, you know, any type of client. Uh, and, and we would even sell it, they, the pieces separately, the, the, the modularity. But more and more, the way we're seeing is, you know, we're seeing the platform as a whole. Uh, we're selling the platform as a whole. The client uses the pieces that they want. And the, the sort of the pricing mechanism is like a pay-as-you-go. Similarly to what Amazon uh, does with their services. You know, if they consume, they pay. There's obviously always a minimum fee. But, you know, the view is that we want to... Uh, take any entry barrier for uh, for those clients that wants to uh, experiment and use and offer services on the digital asset space. Remember, um, we generally don't offer the service ourselves. We are, most of the cases, we're technology providers. So they use our technology to, to then uh, offer crypto services to their end clients. I got you. Yeah, that makes that makes um, perfect sense. So, um, you know, accounting in general is generally kind of befuddles most people, whether it's TradFi or crypto. Crypto is exponentially more detailed. Um, how do you and, you know, I've been digging in with accountants and other other platforms and trying to understand just what it takes to kind of scour the network to understand what trades were made. How does that work? Because it's there's so many little pockets. And I know I'm, I'm like a small fry that will trade or flip or swap or do whatever I'm doing uh, with as digital assets. So I kind of have a handle on it a, a bit. But a lot of people are out there are moving really fast and their organizations are large. How do you how do you actually what technologies or tools are you using to kind of, you know, ping the network and, and pull back the, the right information? So our strategy to tackle this uh, sort of accounting problem, and that's quite funny because people far uh, blockchain is a is a distributed ledger system, and think and people think that by consulting the blockchain directly, you would be able to to generate uh, uh, accounting uh, records, right? And mm -hmm. you know. Blockchain is a is a transactional uh, you know ledger. It's not a you know uh, accounting ledger. That's one of the main differences that people generally confuse. What I mean by transaction, it records all the transactions and and informations related to the transactions that are immutable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when it comes to to trading, buying and selling, not necessarily all those transactions are registered into the blockchain especially when it comes to centralized exchange. So uh, what we did in the platform, we, we brought all this information, trading, blockchain transfers or blockchain transactions, transfers, DeFi transactions into a single denominator. Why? Uh, why we did that? Because from there, we can generate the account postings to be posted into a, an accounting ledger, right? So mm. what I mean, let's say, you, you, you buy and sell in a platform A or in a DAX or in a, in a centralized exchange B. So we bring those transactions to a common denominator in terms of information, granularity, uh, and uh, 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 data format where you can drive the, you know, the accounting records and posts uh, from there. Remember that when it comes to transactions that are on-chain transactions, and, and that's quite tricky. Some counterparties or some wallets or some custodians, 
they transfer, let's say you, you, you ask to transfer one Bitcoin and end up getting to the other side, 0.999 something, because, you know, there is the gas fees for the network. But imagine that you are an accountant, you have, you have to record that transaction. Well, you transfer an asset, it was one, it got at the, the other destination is 99. What happened? So, so what we do generally, we bring also those on-chain transactions into a common denominator where, you know, we generate a, 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 a transaction fee that can be generating a, a cost posting to the ledger. So um, relate to that transaction that's transferring an on-chain Bitcoin from A to B, you would have also a fee related to that. Otherwise, if we don't do that, it creates a lot of problems for the side because, again, different account, uh, uh, custodians uh, or wallets treat transfers in different ways. For instance, there are, there are uh, custodians that say, okay, you transfer one Bitcoin, you need to pay outside the, the gas fee, so you're going to receive one Bitcoin at the end. Uh, there are custodians, especially on Ethereum, that uses gas stations and take, uh, you know, from a separate wallet, the cost of transactions. So this all needs to be accounted in order for you to do a proper, you know, accounting uh, of your or of your trade transactions. And again, institutional clients like banks, they it's a must. It's not a, it's not an option. They have to have it, you know, especially when they deal with, uh, you know, uh, end clients. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing banks across the world and we'll get into that a little bit more later but across the world would have to be really the everything with crypto is under a microscope. So it has to be detailed and it seems like you guys have figured out how to really uh simplify the idea of these transactions uh for the end user, which is really 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 nice because it goes into you know, if you look at Satoshi's, you know, it, it's broken into, I don't know how many parts, right? So it gets really detailed. It's, it, it's, it's a beautiful mathematical system. Um, but it's very hard for people to even at the surface level to wrap their head around. So it's nice that you're kind of consolidating and creating focal points and simp uh, simplification. So it's nice. Um, now when it comes to assets, because you guys say, you're also allowing people or clients to trade, right? Or buy and sell directly, almost like a DAX or an exchange. Um, at that point, if they're using your system to do that, who has custodial rights over their um, assets? Is it, do you hold those rights or do, does the end user hold them? Yeah, we have a, uh, we used to have a, a you know, as part of our MPC custody, we used to keep all the the pieces of the private key with us. Uh, we, we call MPC uh, key shares. And mm -hmm. uh, but now our new system, the client can hold one of them. So we therefore consider that they hold uh, the custodial rights. But remember, we don't sell to individuals. We sell to it's a B two B business. So we sell yeah. to financial institutions or trading firms or investment platforms so they hold that so therefore they can offer the custodial services themselves to their end clients and uh, there's an, a, an element of this because uh, our uh, the platform connects to more than 20 liquidity providers being exchanges and and otc desks and when the trades are, and, and we have the concept of best execution, which looks after the best, not necessarily the best price, the best combination of price, the fees that you pay and commissions that you pay for the exchange. Uh, and, and then, uh, let's say a, a client of our clients who is going to buy 10 Bitcoins, it's going to get executed on the best connected counterparties. So needs to be prefunded the counterparties. And by that time, Despite of the, you know, the client, uh, uh, the, the custody is still with the liquidity provider. So we built a treasury management system where our clients can move coins on chain to their internal custody. And also we integrate external custodians. So it's, it's a more complex uh, a system where you can effectively manage the whole life cycle of trades being executed in different counterparties, being transferred from 
counterparty A to custody, to internal custody, to external custody. So, uh, so we have a, a, one of our clients has um, 3 million end users trading crypto every day. Wow. And the, wow. the, there's a, the other day they reached like a 400,000 transaction in a day. And, and uh, basically imagine clients buying $10, $100, uh, $1,000, $300,000 of crypto buying and selling and, and in, in, in this being executed in with the best price in different three, four different exchanges. So then they consolidate, they settle, they move to the custody, they move to a cold custody. So it's a, it's a more, uh, I would say, when you offer crypto to do, to a thing in a, on a large scale like this, um, it's uh, it would require a, a more sort of complex operational setup and, and processing as well. But, you know, we, we come from banks. This is sort of... Uh, bread and butter for us. The only thing we try to apply the controls and, and views that the bank would require to run it's a more complex. Yeah, crypto is very complex, by the way, right? You have, a, <laughs> you have an asset that trades in different, you know, uh, exchange, like at the parties, you have, you know, the, the private key to handle, you have, you know, the, the transfer, the gas fees, the, so it's, it's, uh, it's more uh, complicated than traditional financial systems. Yeah, you also have um, different exchanges across the, the world, across the world, different time zones. You have a lot of, and that's been exploited. We know that. <laughs> um, yeah. You know th- that's challenging and hyper hyper detailed. Like you're saying, um, you know, the average Joe like myself is just doing you know tiny little things. I can't imagine on a grand scale with large amounts of, uh, of assets or monies being, you know, traded or transacted on. Amazing. Um, now one of the, um, one of the biggest topics obviously in your world and, and in everyday world, we see with the SEC, they can't make up their mind. What's an asset, what's a commodity, whatever it is. Right. So it's challenging just to keep up. With that said, regulations in the United States are tough, but they're tough all around the world. You know this firsthand. You come from the banking system. How do you and your team keep up with regulations and subsequently help your clients understand what's coming down the road or in front of them at the very moment? Yeah, um, we started Parfine in 19 in London, right? And we're we're trying to understand as much as we could the uh, the FCA uh, you know regulatory view on crypto. There's a bit of uh, you know issues at the beginning, but they 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 try to first uh, regulate uh, you know crypto to avoid uh, um, money laundering. So we would have to enforce KYC uh, and and anti money laundering controls uh, through crypto. Which is uh, especially when you're uh, providing what they call a off ramp, where the client deposits the Bitcoin and wants to withdraw cash, right? Uh, which was not our case because we were B two B, but um, still you had to to enforce those controls. I think the first step where we tried to follow was, oh, okay, let's. And again, coming from the financial institutions, it's really easy to understand those requirements of anti money laundering. Uh, anti-terrorist finance and so on. So we implemented this as part of the of of the system onboarding, etc., to help our clients to enforce that. So it was not uh, uh, difficult. What was difficult for us is to really have a clear guidance of what were our obligations, for instance, as far as um, um, custodian of crypto or like uh, it, you mentioned about custodial, no custodial. Right, still not clear in many jurisdictions. If you like, we use a technology called MPC, as I mentioned. We can have three uh, nodes. We can give one one. Uh, 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 we can give one out of three to our client, so he starts the signature of the transaction, and then we keep the other two. You know, would we be considered a subcustodian vis-a-vis the traditional financial uh, markets uh, regulation because we are still holding two transactions? No, but. Uh, I can be perceived as a technology only because my client signed initially the transaction and he started the transfer. So there are still a lot of uncertainty about uh, what would be the obligations and responsibilities of uh, 
uh, a custodian, being technology provider, being holding a, a part of the private key. So it's still and 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 again, if you add that for crypto is already a, um, and then crypto being some of them being classified as securities and not because if you if you're a custodian of a security, you should be a qualified custodian vis-a-vis uh, the financial market. So mm. I think there's a, a still a lot of uncertainty. The good part is that just to finish is like yeah you have like mika the marketing crypto assets regulation in 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 europe is clarifying those points you know and and i think that will help you know uh, the participants of the ecosystem and banks and who wants to join uh to, with more clarity about those how what would be configured as or or uh, as a security or not security what would be a substantial a real world assets token, what would be a, a, a stable coin or electronic uh, money and so on. So would therefore fall into a, a new regulation even for those assets because again, being a custodian for a traditional security is one thing. Being, being a custodian for a tokenized security adds a little bit more uh, of uh, uh, controls. But I think this is going to become clear uh, you know, uh, more and more in the coming months. Yeah, that that was great, and um, you brought something up interesting, Marcus, in 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 that last bit. Um, multiple key holders, right, or custodians, right, two or three on three different nodes, or literally three different entities holding three different sets of the keys. Like, who's responsible for that? That's that's really interesting, and and you're seeing, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's really not figured out 100% just yet not really not really and no. i think and i think again if you if you look at the traditional financial markets regulation in, in some countries you 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 are vis-a-vis -vis the client you are the qualified custodian but mm. generally when you look at the terms and conditions of the, your custody agreement with the with your client if your bank or whatever is your qualified custodian they say in a very tiny uh, you know, uh, <laughs> lines, they say, oh, we could hire sub-custodian for specific purposes or parts of the assets that you hold with us. We're still liable. We're still vis-a-vis uh, -vis the end client. We're still responsible, but we could you know, rely on sub-custodians for this and this and that. And there, and, and and today, you know, in the traditional financial markets, you never look at this, right? You are opening your account with this X reputable, you know, broker firm, and you don't really care if they have all. You obviously you, you rely that he's been uh, approved by the local regulator, being SEC or whatever, or FINRA uh, in the case of broker dealers in the US. But you ultimately saying, oh, they have a license. But in some case, those player players they use either sub-custodians or uh, players for payment services and so on. And and you, you don't care. You, you're just uh, seeing one brand in front of you. you know? I think that will happen in the in the crypto ecosystem as well. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, if you ask, you know, <laughs> specific people on, a, on different days, it's, yeah, I, I just want to invest and I don't want to deal with anything. And that's why people go to brokerages or firms, right? Um, and you know, if you ask the crypto kids, they're like, nope, hands off. I'm full custody. I, I'll take all responsibility for it. Or they work with a third party, um, such as yourself to share that responsibility. So yeah. really interesting. Now, you know, um, I, I would say I'm, I, in the crypto world, I'm kind of fascinated with the way and the approach that Latin America is taking with cryptocurrencies because it's sometimes very dramatic and sometimes, you know, lackluster in some, in some ways, um, much like the U S but there's much I, to me, Latin America, uh, is there's much more at stake, right. Um, you know, from a country's perspective, right. Um, and, and Bra Brazil's been doing a good job and kind of pushing forward steadily over many, many years. And that it's important for people to understand that. But for our viewers and our listeners, um, can you just give us a little bit of Brazil's history, right? 
economic history. You don't have to unpack, you know, you know, the entire history, but more recent history. What's been happening with the, you know, maybe a little politics that influence uh, economics and the reason why Brazil is kind of attaching itself to cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and everything else. Yeah, Brazilian, Brazilians in general, they've been very creative since the 80s. Uh, you know, I remember when I was a, as a teenager at the 80s, there was the hyperinflation in Brazil for 10 years. So yeah. you would go for, in the supermarket and the next day the price was 30% up. It was not like a one, but it was, you know, it's like a hyper, hyperinflation. So people used to hold cash because cash was the king at the time. You know, mm. and 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 uh, you know, if you had their money on the bank, you wouldn't buy anything. So it was was a um, um, was a, a time where you know you had to protect your reserves. You had to find ways to you know to really uh, make your money worth something. And and then um, after that, we had a you know a tremendous devaluation of the Brazilian real. You know, I remember the Brazilian real was pegged one to one to dollar. And from one day to the other, I moved to four or five. Oh. And imagine that if you had, you know, all your reserves in Brazilian real, you all of a sudden you were pouring dollars, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, people started to realize, oh, I have to hold dollars or any other currency which is more strong than Brazil, or at least manage this in a way. And when it comes to crypto, that in a sense brings all of this to you, right? And you have a sort of... A, 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 like a Bitcoin, I would see as a as a uh, capital protection for part of your reserve, right? You you invest there, you you hold, and and regardless of the currency, because you can sell it in pounds, you can sell it in Brazilian reais, but the Bitcoin is still there, right? And and it doesn't depend on, on any monetary policy, and it's you own your assets like uh, on the inflation yeah. as you had the cash. So I think people got used to it, but I think more more than that is that. Uh, Brazil has 200 million people and, uh, you know, everyone has a mobile, everyone is connected to the internet. So it's a, it's a developing country, but very tech driven, very, you know, enthusiastic about technology. And most of the population are generation Z and Y, whatever you call it. And so they're more, uh, uh, it's like uh, open for innovation for, you know, crypto for, you know, uh, techy things that happen. So I think it. This is a is sort of a, a you know a perfect storm when it comes to to Brazil. And we have a very pro innovation regulator. So the Central Bank of Brazil uh, three years ago launched the famous PIX, which is an instantaneous payment. Uh, it's a super success. I pay you instantaneous. People say I PIX you. You know, I PIX you. It's a. It's so. And it gets into account in seconds. If I, ah, Rich, give me your pics. I transfer instantaneously. It's in your in your in your wallet, yeah. and so that uh, you know facilitates uh, you know the the adoption of innovation of tech driven innovation. So and crypto was uh, was like that, you know. So I think um, and and, it is, and even the central bank and the Securities Commission of Brazil, they are saying, oh, now we're gonna have the the CBDC. And we want the, the market to, to have a, a clear framework for tokenized securities and non-tokenized securities because they want to see this, this, um, this ecosystem boosting uh, the economy and generating jobs, generating opportunities for people. You know? I think this is, uh, that's why we call this, this perfect storm. Yeah. And Marcos, you, you hit on pretty a, a lot of things that I often kind of repeat over and over is I always say, watch Latin America, watch EMEA, uh, the Asian markets, look at, and even developing nations, specifically developed nations, watch them, see what they're doing. And sometimes it's out of desperation, which I don't think, you know, Brazil had a hard, as per your points, had a hard time with inflation, right? Making things almost impossible to transact on a normal human day-to-day -day level. Um, so there's a reason, a good reason to do it. So I always say, watch, watch Latin America, see what they're doing. And you're hundred percent right. I always loved the entrepreneurial and the, the kind of spirit that goes into it 
because in Latin America, if they like it, they're going to really like it. And, and I can't wait to see what happens and, you know, hats off to you guys for really running with it. And it's, it's really cool thing to see. Um, now you brought up the central bank, you know, coin, right? CBDC that's been percolating here for in the U.S. for for some time now and developing it. And I'm sure they're far along behind the scenes. You know, what does that look like? And how are the, you know, people of Brazil, are, are they going to embrace it? Are, are they going to, what's the sentiment there? Well, I think, you know, again, I, I give an example of the peaks, you know, uh, and the uh, Brazilians, they embraced big instantaneous payments. You know, just to have an idea, the use of debt card in Brazil dropped yeah. by 60% after peaks. Wow. Imagine the amount of money that uh, the acquirers lost, you know, uh, by losing this market share, you know, to peaks. And mm -hmm. this is, is massive. It's a, it's a Brazil process around, you know, uh, I would say, $10 trillion of transact or, or payments a year. So it's, it's quite a lot. It's two and a half times GDP, you know, uh, just wow. to, for, for a perspective. So it's a lot of, uh, you know, payment processing. And peaks increase the, the micropayments a lot, you know. People send the peaks of uh, $1 or $2, $3, used for pretty much everything. So I think this, um, you know, increased the... Uh, uh, the unbanked to be banked. I think this is one of the the main elements of uh, of this uh, revolution. And I think the the digital real will bring even more people to the ecosystem with better services, mm -hmm. because I think you know uh, the way we see it. And the central bank uh, uh, of Brazil governor is is pro like this innovation. So last year the central bank started the, the sandbox for the CBDC. And they invited AV, which is a, a lending protocol, a DeFi lending protocol. Why they invite AV? Because they want to see people borrowing in, uh, from a lending pool cheaper than they borrow from banks today. Mm -hmm. That's the innovation that the country wants to have. Yeah. And, and because if you buy a time deposit from bank, they will pay you, you know, uh, let's say US rates, minus 10 beeps, whatever. And if they land it out, they will land at, uh, uh, you know, US rates plus, you know, uh, 1%, 100 beeps. So there will, be, there will be people that are willing to pay a little bit more and people to receive more in a decentralized fashion. So I think this uh, could uh, boost the economy in different ways, disintermediate the ecosystem. And the central bank is embraced to do that. And I think that's what, you know, the, the, uh, the tokenized, uh, you know, currency would allow. Like, for instance, you have, a, you have a, a house. And let's imagine that the title of the house is tokenized. And you don't want to do a mortgage because it's too complex. You need to, to go for a credit approval. But there's a good lending value. You just need, you know, your house worth like $500,000. You, you just need like $20,000 for whatever. Mm -hmm. You could lend it out into a lending pool, token of your house, and receive that $20,000. Once you have the money, you pay it back. Obviously, there's some re required regulation. You need to, you know, uh, bulletproof the investors. But, you know, that's ultimately what can happen when you have the uh, the digitized version of the currency for, for a country. And again, I think Brazil is open to embrace those uh, innovations, uh, you know, which is happening in the crypto ecosystem. Web3, the DeFi, that's happened, but what's being used to, to uh, as a collateral? Bitcoin, either Bitcoin or Ethereum, yeah. and you borrow USDC. Right. So it's within the same ecosystem. But my view is that once you have a central bank digital currency, which is open to, to, the, to the public, it, you could potentially have uh, you know, services to disintermediate, to allow people to borrow money cheaper, to, you know, to get the better financing rates and, and so on. Yeah, Marcos, a lot of great points in there. Um, and there's one thing that I, I echo all the time, right? And it's beautiful, just backing up a little bit, it's beautiful to see that the Brazilian Central Bank is, is being a part of the growth and not a hindrance. 
So that's wonderful. <laughs> Music to my ears and many others. Um, but how, um, let's see. I often bring up um, Coinbase as an example, right? Brian Armstrong, he, he's very vocal. He's very straightforward, very clear about his, not only his company's um, position and mission, but he also offers to help. You know, he, he goes to, gov- to, to, to Washington to help to educate and, and work with governments. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Um, and it's, it's a really good thing. And it's important for people to understand that this is a communal type of thing. And if you want to be a part of it, great. You can't sit on the sidelines and complain. If you want to be part of the solution, let's work together. So that's wonderful. Wonderful to hear. Um, now, you know, when it comes to um, central banks, CBDCs and regulations, is Parfin active in working with the Central Bank of Brazil uh, in helping to develop and educate and beyond? Yeah, we've been always, as, as, as we come from financial markets and we, we knew some people at the Central Bank and, uh, and actually the regulations around the world and, and we... Uh, we had a, a various opening conversations explaining the, how the crypto ecosystem works, what would be applicable to the traditional financial markets and not, you know, how we see the evolution of securities tokens and so on. And, and, and more importantly, I think one, since the central bank started the, the development of this, the Brazilian CBDC, which is called DREX, D-R-E-X, uh, yeah. Drex. <laughs> we, it's, a, it's a weird name, but, uh, you know, um, we, uh, we've been engaging with the central bank last year, the central bank started a, a, a proof of concept, uh, it was a sandbox selected, the uh, six participants. One of them was a big bank was Banco Santander and, um, Santander hired us and we built the whole sandbox technology, uh, for them. And that was the beginning. Another uh, thing, one of our clients is, a, is, a, is one of the largest independent broker dealers, not owned by banks in Brazil. And they entered into the sandbox of the Securities Commission and to tokenize the security, a corporate bond. And we provide the whole infrastructure and we, we attended the various sessions with this client and the, the Securities Commission to discuss how we're implementing, how we're improving controls over the existing uh, uh, system. Uh, and more recently this year, uh, we're very proud because uh, the central bank, after the sandbox last year, we started the pilot of the CBDC, which uh, which finishes in May next year. And the central bank selected 16 participants. We're uh, uh, among one of them to contribute mm-hmm. to the tests and development of the CBDC. But more recently, uh, uh, and we're we're supporting other four banks into this uh, infrastructure to, to interact with the CBDC. Um, and more recently, we launched this uh, permission uh, EVM blockchain called Parchain, and we, uh, we've been selected by the central bank directly as one of the solutions to support the privacy and scalability components of the CBDC itself as an infrastructure to the central bank directly. So we've been working with the technical teams uh, since uh, uh, beginning of November. And um, we're super, super excited. Uh, We started now, after the discovery phase, we start the phase to test our solution to enforce privacy within the, the, uh, the infrastructure, the blockchain infrastructure for the central bank. And I think that will bring the, the country to a next level in terms of having, you know, a blockchain, based currency with privacy where you could bring a lot of efficiency to the country as far as payments, as far as innovating into uh, lending, uh, borrowing, uh, trading, uh, new financial way, uh, new ways to fund, uh, you know, uh, small, mid-sized business through tokenization of the shares. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting. But first, you know, even the central bank governor, uh, central bank of Brazil governor said, it's not about the, the digital uh, currency, the digital real. It's about the opportunities it will bring to a tokenized economy. And I think this is very powerful, you know, when we think about uh, 
what would be a tokenized economy. You know, uh, I so. I concur. <laughs> I I think it's it's only going to be upside uh, for Brazil and, and many other nations. Um, now the Drex is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Marcos. Drex is supposed to launch uh, 2024. Is that on track? Are you guys tracking well with that? Well, we're excited. We have been selected as one of the privacy solutions. The, the biggest, uh, you know, uh, problem we need to solve with, within the, the blockchain as the central bank will run some nodes of the network and they want financial institution to run nodes. So it creates resilience, not a full decentralization, but a, a sort of decentralization. But at the same time, when you run a node of the network, you can see all the transactions and, and so on. So you, you, you lose the, 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 the most important element of, uh, uh, both the U.S. and Brazil Constitution, which is the you know your privacy, you know, and 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 uh, basically um, that's the main big problem that we have to really implement this in a decentralized way, where where uh, you know financial institutions could be part of the network to create resilience. And so we are uh, testing and implementing our privacy solution, which which involves like a you know. Uh, a lot of cryptography. We are using homomorphic encryption and zero knowledge proofs, etc. Uh, we're very, very optimistic that we're going to reach the results. So the pilot, which contemplates so you know putting the the test together and getting uh, the participants to test and 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 enforce privacy, scalability, and interoperability. So. The test finalized in, in, in May next year, May 24. And the goal is that if they are successful, and we hope they are, then there will be a rollout plan to have the first version in production uh, mm. by the end of 2024. I think it's an aggressive timeline. Uh, but if you, if you sort of uh, narrow down the scope of what would be the goal life, which is, you know, uh, 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 governed bonds being tokenized by the the treasurer of Brazil and ex- and, and and being uh, biased and 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 uh, bought and sold by clients of the banks, you narrow down. You know, then after that you can roll out for a more payment inclusive payment system and so on. I think if you use for a specific purpose at the very beginning, I think the chances that we we launch that next year are very are very uh, broad because. Central bank digital currency systems, they have wholesale, retail. Uh, some uh, countries are testing more on the wholesale side versus the retail. Wholesale, mm-hmm. I mean, interbanking payments, not you know retail individuals paying uh, each other. Brazil has chosen the more complex setup, as far as you read on different you know publications around the world, which is having both the wholesale and the retail. Um, but you can always, and the, the pilot has been testing both, uh, uh, but you always can go, okay, for the go live of first phase, you can start with the wholesale and then prepare the whole out for, uh, for the retail a few months later. Even the PIX, the instantaneous payment, it, it allowed payment you know, uh, on a retail basis, individual to individual, and then uh, there was some you know, uh, payment installments, payment, so cash, I guess, payment. So there are further uh, phases that were developed in a sort of a, uh, after. Uh, it was a phased out approach. And I think why not follow the same path uh, with, the, with the tracks? I think that would be, you know, that would uh, allow this to be launched uh, next year once we solve the privacy problem. Yeah. T- you know, uh, <laughs> I am not a developer on uh, on the blockchain, but... Um, I do understand enough to say, you know, take the time, be methodical, do it right. And, you know, the people will thank you afterwards. So um, kudos. And that's great. Um, keep pushing ahead. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to be here in the in the States. We'll be tracking it and, you know, with eyes wide open and, you know, brains wide open, too, for learning. So that's great. Now, there is, I know, in the United States there's huge demand for ETFs. And I know for a fact that in Brazil, there is pent up demand for an ETF, whether it be, you know, Bitcoin probably to start or Ethereum down the road. What's the sentiment there? Um, What are your thoughts on that? 
So Brazil was one of the first to launch the spot ETF. There is already two, three asset managers offering it in the local markets. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the way I saw it, I thought that the individuals would buy, would buy more of the spot ETFs. But surprisingly enough, there are more institutional investors that bought it, you know, pension funds and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, big, uh, you know, uh, wealth managers and allocators. Which was, uh, which was very interesting. Therefore, if you took the largest spot ETF in Brazil, it has around 300,000 uh, you know, uh, individuals that, that bought it. Again, compared to US, the ETF market is very tiny, very, very tiny compared to US. We're talking about, I think the, the whole ETF market in Brazil is like, a, if it's uh, $500 billion is much, but you know, in US are trillions and trillions of dollars, right? So. Uh, I think that, you know, for the crypto world and crypto ecosystem, that will be a, a tremendous opportunity for a bull run and to demystify this uh, crypto, you know, ecosystem and speculation, etc. So, it, you know, I think the technology came to stay, you know, blockchain technology came to stay. And the yeah. crypto, as we call it, are tokens that represents an underlying technology. And therefore, as, 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 as much people uses that technology, the token would gain value. Not for Bitcoin, because it's more, is, 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 the, is, the, is the origin of everything, is more a, a reserve of value. But for the other protocols, like Ethereum, you mentioned, I, I love the, the, the Ethereum. I think Ethereum is just the beginning of, the, of, their, of their usage, just a, one of the mm. main protocols going forward. And, and there will several applications that can run on top of the protocol. Uh, so I think this is just the beginning, but, you know, in order to for the ecosystem to continue growing, and being, you know, uh, being self-fulfilling self in terms of funding, in terms of an spot ETF would help a lot because this is a, something interesting in the ecosystem. Obviously, there is a lot of venture capital that invested into 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 crypto companies or digital assets companies in the past and uh, and again the us is fabulous for this you know capital at risk allocation but when you look at some of those protocols they created the technology that generated the utility token that needs to be used to pay gas fees but they 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 also issue more tokens and it's a self-fulfilling where the success uh, protocols gain value the token of those successful protocols gain value, and therefore it can self-finance the developments of the technology. Mm. And that's to me, is a, is, a, is a revolution where you have a technology that can somehow, you know, self-financing the, the evolution of the ecosystem and the innovation. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great point, Marcos, because I see that all the time. The, they're through smart... Uh, token all allocations, uh, whether it be pulling investors in or actually funding a development team through tokenization or uh, ancillary kind of, um, uh, you know, corporate or company wide investments. It's fascinating. The There's so many more doors opening up. Um, and, th and that's wonderful. And I, I think what in general, you know, you always look at these adoption curves of technology, whether it be, you know, old world technology, 2.0 technology or 3.0 uh, technologies. Um, you know, it's only after the technology kind of disappears is when it really is coming, is, is mature, if you will. Right. And I think the idea of ETFs is helping to kind of take away the whole techno jargon world um and make it more palatable and approachable for everyday people so I, I think it's a good thing i would say to people you know i would caution people you know when looking into etfs because i i am a fan for the most part but be, i caution them who you buy through you might not you might might not agree with that financial institutions um you know goals or ethics for that matter. So be careful. <laughs> That's yeah. all I say. Not financial advice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so one more fairly, fairly loaded question for you, Marcus. Um, it's interesting. I've been bubbling this question up a little bit. Do you ever see, like, say, Bitcoin becoming the world's reserve currency? I don't think so. I think it will be a, a, a reserve of value for some individuals. But uh, to say that it will become a, a world reserve currency, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Mm. Unless, unless uh, you know, you have central banks around the world, you know, allocating part of their reserves into Bitcoin, mm. but it's, it's unlikely that to happen because, you know, you don't control the mining and the supply element of it. There's no <laughs> monetary policy control. Uh, so I, I think, again, uh, I think it's unlikely that that happened. But therefore, for individuals that want to protect part of their reserves in an uncorrelated asset, in my view, that could be a, a, a sort of a protection of their the individual's reserve, let's call it, you know, um, you know, again, it's not an investment uh, advisor here, but it's, it's just uh, <laughs> the way people should look. If you really believe that you get, it will gain value over time, you know, um, there's, there are risks as, as, as always in life, right? People say, oh, there's, there will be a quantum computing in one day and we'll break the cryptography of Bitcoin and people will steal all the Bitcoins, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, let's see, I think, by that time, there will be someone that will improve the code of Bitcoin and will, will become uh, post-quantum. And, and therefore, it, the problem is solved, you know. So, um, yeah, very uh, all good points and super interesting to kind of ask that question because I, I'm, I lean more on, on your side, obviously. But, um, you know, certain assets will be protected or backed by Bitcoin or a version of pegged version of Bitcoin, if you will. Um, but who knows? You, you never know. Let, let's just figure out Web3 <laughs> Web and transacting first before we worry about that. And, you know, uh, uh, another topic that you brought up, which could be a completely, you know, a whole series of podcasts and stories or, you know, articles is, you know, quantum computing, you know, um, it fascinates me, scares the pants off of me. But at the end of the day, you know, that much power takes a tremendous amount of energy right now, right? It's not like you're going to have a quantum computer in your pocket or, or, you know, built into your phone. It's going to be, you know, over time in many, many years, not in the immediate future. My take is it'll be leased out. Now, how you lease it and who it's leased to is kind of a an ethical question, um, and what it's used for. Right. So, um, I think we're a long ways off before, you know, crypt cryptography is, is, is cracked. Um, can it be done tomorrow? Who knows? I have no idea, but I don't think the general population will have their hands on this anytime soon. So, uh, interesting. I'd love to dig into that more <laughs> down the road at some point, but, um, you know, as we wrap up, Marcus, th Marcus, th this has been fascinating and very educational uh, for me and, and, and our listeners. Uh, and we thank you. Do, you. do you have any events coming up or, you know, IRL or virtual events or conferences you, you're, you're hosting or going to? Yeah, we're um, there will be the, uh, the Digital Asset Summit in March in, in, uh, in London. I think this it's a. Uh, it's a great event for the, the ecosystem. It's more institutional one. Uh, May next year, uh, there will be a consensus in Austin, Texas. We're always, uh, you know, it's been the, will be the third year that we're attending with our boots. So, and there are a few others, like uh, last month, there's the uh, Ethereum conference in, in Turkey, in Istanbul. And uh, I heard great uh, things about it. So there, there are many events. We try to go as much as we can, but as we're, uh, growing up the business is quite hard to be traveling all over, but the ones that we uh, will be attending is uh, most likely the, the one in March in London, uh, Digital Summit, and then Consensus in, in Austin, Texas in, um, in June. There's this uh, uh, Bitcoin conference in Miami. It's becoming very popular as well. Uh, I don't recollect when it's going to be, but I think it's, uh, 
is the beginning of the summer. Uh, so uh, we can share uh, again, and we're always doing some some podcasts uh, that we uh, you know follow us on our uh, LinkedIn and social media. Uh, so we have uh, you know our uh, addresses at Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn. So you can follow us there, and uh, we're always coming. Uh, we're, we're producing more and more some uh, research reports uh, talking about topics like CBDCs or you know uh, tokenization of assets, uh, stable coins, regulation, and so on. So you know, feel free to, to you know share our our social media, and then we are sharing uh, content and, and, uh, and valuable information to to our clients and to the ecosystem in general. Excellent. And parfum.com, correct? And yes. uh, we encourage our listeners and, and viewers to go check them out. You know, it, it, it is, you know, it's a different part of the world. They're, they're moving faster in some ways than, than other portions of the world, which is very exciting. Um, you know, they're building, they're breaking, they're fixing, and they're just moving forward. So really interesting. Uh, and we thank you, Marcos, uh, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Rich, and your audience. I, I hope you guys like, and again, feel free to contact us if any further questions. Excellent. Thank you.